The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Lloyd, our show today is about patience. And in fact, the name of the book is Patience, The Art of Peaceful Living by Ellen Locus. And I found this book to be absolutely fabulous and lots of wonderful contemplations from from Buddha. So there is a a real blend of skills and spirituality and wonderful things. And we're so thrilled because we're going to be talking with Alan Locus, who is from New York City, and he is with the Community Mediation Center there. Let me tell you a little bit about it. He is the founder and guiding teacher of the Community Mediation Center right in New York City. He, as I said, he's the author of Patience, The Art of Peaceful Living and Pocket Peace, Effective Practices for Enlightening Living. His writings have appeared in a number of newspapers nationwide, such as the New York Times and the Huffington Post. And he's also taught at Columbia University Teachers College, Marymount College, and Insight Mediation Community of Washington, just to name a few. And he's practiced mediation since the mid-1990s, and he studied with renowned teachers, and the one that really got me, several of them, but this one was the best, the Dalai Lama. I just loved the Dalai Lama and have read a lot of his books, so I can really relate to how wonderful that training must have been. Also, which is very exciting, is Alan enjoyed a 30-year career as a professional singer on Broadway, in opera, and in concert. And he lives in Manhattan's Upper West Side with his wife, who is an interfaith minister. And Alan was selected as one of the 50 inspiring religious leaders you should follow on Twitter. So his website is cmnewyork.org. And also you can find out more about him and the book at patiencebook.com. But before we go any further, we're going to get him on here. Alan, thank you so much for joining us from the other coast. You're welcome, Ari, and thank you for having me. I, I can just feel the warmth of your fresh air out there. Oh, it, it is. It's uh, it's getting it gets nice here. That's for sure. And how, how, you know, I know my son lives in New York City, so when he comes home to California, he he's always telling me how he forgot how wonderful it is out here for the weather. But uh, he's become a New Yorker. He loves it. Well, we're trying to keep up with you right now. We've had unseasonably mild weather, and, you know, we're all just 
we know it's coming, but it's just been a great treat to have the weather the way it is right now. Right. So let's talk a little bit about this wonderful book. And, you know, I what really inspired you to, to write this book? You went from singer to mediator. So how did even that happen? Well, actually, not really mediator, but I, I know the words look exactly the same, but I'm actually a meditation teacher. Oh, okay. Uh, mediator, meditation, medication, all look very much the same, don't they? And in some ways, probably serve similar purposes. I have to tell you, when I started mediating 26 years ago, and there was an article about me in our in our legal newspaper, people called me up and said, oh, so you're meditating now? That's how you're practicing law? So you're right. I, I read it, but it's been one of those days already. <laughs> well, if you think about it, as a mediator, you're trying to bring peace between people. Yes. As a meditator, I'm trying to help people with their inner peace. And medication sometimes is necessary to help some people through uh, difficult times and help them achieve peace. So I guess as long as it begins with an M, it's going to serve a useful purpose. Right. When you're, when you're really getting peaceful, you are meditating, and hopefully, it is, hopefully it's helping you to mediate the challenges and conflicts within yourself as well. So yes. it's it's really uh, all of us really seek peace, don't we? It's it's something that sometimes can be elusive. Yes, and to go to your question, um, the inspiration for the book actually it started in a way that wasn't all that inspiring. Um, when my previous book was published, literally the next day, friends were calling in and you know saying congratulations, and then um, what are you going to write next? And I was very tempted when the first one called before 9 in the morning, I was tempted to answer that by saying, patience. <laughs> but truthfully, I didn't. I just would have been so great if I had. But, um, but I did find myself uh, almost right after that just saying, I think I want to write about patience. And I don't even really know why I started saying that. But the more I said it, the more I realized that I did want to write about patience. And the more I said it, the more I was getting the same response from people, which was, oh, please do, because I really need a book like that. Yes. Um, so that, that's how it began. And then one night, uh, right after dinner, I was sitting just chatting with my wife, and we tend to talk about whatever is going on and get into things. And when we were speaking about this idea of my writing about patients, she said, if I can remember this exactly, she said, just about every mistake I have ever made and every unkind word I have ever spoken might have been avoided if I had been more patient. Yes. And I thought, wow, what a statement that is. And it struck me immediately that I could say exactly the same thing. So in the introduction to the book, Patience, I actually quote that because that was the moment. Once I heard that, I thought, this is it, I have to do that. And then I, I actually excused myself and went to the computer and wrote that line down. And then I realized that I really wanted to stay at the computer and, and continue to write, that I felt impatient at that moment. <laughs> but I went back and, you know, finished our chat, but... Boy, the next morning I just dove right into it. And then it happened that my editor at Torture Penguin 
and the publisher had been discussing, uh, and I didn't even know about this, but they had been discussing that they wanted to publish a book about patients. So when I presented the idea, it was just sort of a done deal immediately. Hmm. So do you think that's some kind of universal epiphany that we all need to learn patience? Well, I don't know exactly where it's coming from, whether it's coming from above or possibly even coming from below. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I know that the more I've been in conversations with people, and, and I did well over a year of research uh, on this subject, um, and certainly had uh, an enormous number of helpful teachers. Um, I started by sending out um, thousands of copies of a very simple questionnaire. It just had two questions on it. Uh, under what circumstances are you most likely to lose your patience? Mm -hmm. And what then do you do about it? Well, the first thing I learned was that most people don't want to talk about it. I sent out thousands of copies, and I received back only a few hundred. And a couple of friends were actually open enough to say, you know, not only do I not really want to talk about it, but I certainly don't want it in print. And that's even though I told everyone this was going to be blind, there would be no names mentioned. Right, anonymous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I did get enough out of several hundred responses. I got enough to be able to put together certain patterns. And the patterns, you know, once I wrote them in the book, and once actually I, I was speaking about this to a large group last night, um, when I said what the number one reason was that people reported back to me that they lost their patients, everyone just sort of said, oh, absolutely. And that number one reason was, I tend to lose my patience when I feel I'm not being heard. Mm. And by extension, when I feel I'm not being seen, or I get the sense that I'm invisible, or because, let's say, that I've asked so many times, Bob, that you take out the garbage each night, because otherwise we're going to have little critters in the kitchen, and then Bob forgets on a fairly regular basis, I feel that I'm not being honored, that my wishes and my concerns are not important to the other, and that causes impatience. That was the number one reason. Interesting. And, you know, I teach negotiations here at UCI, and, yes. and we talk about the power of effective listening. And if you are really listening to another person, you're honoring them, you're respecting them, you're hearing them. And, you know, what you were talking about, it's like in order to resolve a dispute, you have to have the patience to listen. Yes. And, and when you do have that patience to listen, then the other person, it's, it's kind of reciprocal. Then they have the patience to listen. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting at the back of your book, you have that whole appendix on stressors that can lead to, uh, impatience. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'll have to tell my class they have to look at this because mm -hmm. I think those are really, you know, we talk about some of them, but some of them, uh, were, were 
I thought even more interesting, like I, w- I didn't think of putting aging on there, but as I'm aging, I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, maybe that is true. That well, there, <laughs> is, there really is um, a kind of inner tension, inner stress as we age. Uh, and certainly I didn't notice this even, let's say, 10 years ago. But as we age, you know, you know, truthfully, something we don't like to speak about in our society, but as we age, the body is decaying. The body becomes more susceptible to illness right. uh, for some people. And certainly we move closer to the end of this life, to our death. And if we're not yet really comfortable with the fact that this life will come to an end, then there's a, a buildup of stress and tension. Yes. And when we're under stress, when we're experiencing stress, uh, we're much, much more likely to become impatient. You know, on that list of things that people sent back to me when they were answering that questionnaire yes. were things that, are, that seem mundane but are so real. Like, for instance, people said, I tend to become more impatient if I'm tired. Yes. And they said, I tend to become more impatient if I'm hungry. Oh, gosh, my husband turns into a bear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that. If, if he's hungry, I am real careful what I say. <laughs> right, but you see, these are, these are things that we can do something about right. very easily. I mean, this is not some deep, mystical, spiritual practice when we right. say, eat a meal on time. Yes. Or if you're a grazer, eat regularly throughout the day. Yes. And go to bed 15 minutes earlier. Yeah. I, I had to laugh. One of them that you have here is struggling with technology. When I'm trying to learn a new software program or a new cell phone or something, oh my goodness, I could... I could definitely see that impatience coming out of me. I know. It's so frustrating, <laughs> isn't it? And how do those devices, and, and I'm a big fan. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I own pretty much everything that's made uh, in terms of technology. But what I don't understand is how do these devices know the exact worst time for them to break down? <laughs> right. Yeah, you just and, wonder, and, huh? Yeah, and there we are. I mean, I, I actually wrote something uh, in the book about uh, I had been asked to write an article for um, a, a very significant magazine, and I was about three-quarters of the way through and quite pleased with the way it was going. And I own one of those big-name computers that simply don't break down. They They don't have crashes and um, all of a sudden, things stopped. Mm. And I thought, this has never happened. Um, and I'm looking at it, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable uh, with computers at this point. And I just couldn't find it. So I called my computer guru, and I told him everything that was going on. And he said, good job. You did all the right things. Now, let me ask you something. Is your backup device showing on the screen? Which, which it always is supposed to. Uh-huh. And I looked, and it wasn't showing on the screen. And he said, yep, that's what I thought. It's Your computer's fine. Your backup device has broken down. And he said, this, they're the weak link. Mm. But he said, um, I'll have one of the guys run one over to you. You'll have it in less than an hour. And I said, great. And I said, by the way, 
when I have this new device, then will my material be backed up? Uh, and will I still have it? And he said, well, that's the bad news. <laughs> oh, you, no. you will not have that. Oh. Now, let's say maybe 10 years ago, uh, you would not have wanted to be around me when I heard news like that, <laughs> because that, that article was due in about 36 hours. Oh, no. And, um, you know, there was that flash that went through me, exactly what you just said, mm. oh, no. Mm. And then I thought, I'm going to go outside, and I'm just going to take about a 10-minute walk and just remind myself that this is the way it is, I'm not going to be able to retrieve that material, although I, I understand that there are geniuses who can get into your computer and charge you an outrageous amount of money, and they can dig out anything, and, you know, there just wasn't going to be time for that. So I took my walk, and by the time I came back, I sat down and said, okay, time to write something that was even better than what I wrote before. Um, I don't know if it was better, but I know that um, I thought it was pretty good, and I sent it in, and they were very pleased with it. Um, but again, how do these devices know <laughs> when to break down, when it's going to be absolutely the most inconvenient time? Yes. And, you know, that's life. Life just happens. Things like this happen. And I remember back when I was a sophomore in college, I don't want to tell you how many years ago, but it was a long time ago, and I, that was during the time when people were, all the college students were learning transcendental meditation, and I learned that. Right. And I know that whenever I do meditate, and I don't do it as often as I should, but I, I try to meditate once a day, but I remember in those years I was really good about doing it twice a day. But if I can do it every day or every other day, I can feel that difference in just getting centered and things like what you're talking about, I would be able to handle it easier than if I wasn't doing that. Do you know what I mean? It's oh, just, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, um, just to say for the sake of your listeners, if the, if the word meditation sounds foreign, off-putting, or scary, don't even think about it as meditation. Just think, take a couple of minutes each day and just sit down and relax. Sit down and stop doing what you're doing. Stop the busyness. Um, about 30 years ago, one of my colleagues, John Kabat-Zinn, when he's a, a, actually a doctor, and he went to a meditation retreat in Barry, Massachusetts, and began to realize how much benefit meditation could be to his patients. Yes. And so he started to work out a program. And John will say that the smartest thing that he did was to not call it meditation. Uh -huh. He created the phrase mindfulness-based stress reduction. Yes. And people swamped to it. He got the grant money that he needed. And that program has literally saved thousands of lives through the years, not to mention having brought a great deal of inner peace to tens of thousands of people. Yes, and, and Harvard research, uh, Harvard studies have done several studies on the difference between those who meditate and those who don't with regard to heart disease. So yes. there's, you know, what, whatever you're doing, if you can just get centered and just get peaceful and just get away from it all for a while, whether you, for example, when you said you take a walk 
You know, when I just go out in the morning and I take a walk with my dog and I'm looking at the palm trees, it just, you know, it does the same kind of thing for me. So something where you get away from it all, like you said, is enough to at least help you get a little bit more centered. Yes. Actually, I was just wondering, you know, are you just trying to rub it in with me that you walk <laughs> among the palm trees? Yeah. And I, I get to walk where there are stone buildings. <laughs> but no, I'm actually very fortunate. I live next to one of the really miraculous, um, one of the miraculous streets we have here in New York City. I live right next to Central Park. Oh, it's gorgeous there. Yeah, yeah that's a, a great place to walk. It's an amazing park and yes. uh, just incredible what's been done with it. And it's it's a haven. It's a refuge. But we all need to find that refuge within ourselves. And we can do that. Yes. We do that by stopping, just getting quiet. Just be with yourself. You know, we spend this entire life living within a body. Mm-hmm. What is that like? What does that mean? What is the experience of living within a body? What goes on in my mind? Even what is the mind? So sit with the mind. Watch the flow of thoughts and feelings that go by. Watch and feel the sensations that go on within the body. And we try to do that non-judgmentally. And just as an observer, yes. uh, and, and to bring greater awareness to what is going on in the inner landscape. Um, and again, without being critical, there's nothing going on that's wrong. So we just, just watch and get a sense of what is really going on within me, and then as we extend out what is going on around me, and when we do that, we begin to see things can be peaceful. Yes. So, you know, we have learned behavior, especially now. The kids are either, you know, they're never really sitting and just relaxing. They're, they got their, their texting, right? Mm. Or they're playing their video games. Or they're not even, a lot of them aren't even walking outside and playing baseball and football anymore. They're just doing all their video games, their computer stuff. So how, how does that feel in terms of, you know, being peaceful and patience? What do you think about that? What is, what are we, where are we going with all this? Well, you know, it's a great question because right now we don't really know the answer. We don't have enough uh, history yet. But I suspect there's going to be a price to pay. And that's not to say that um, I'm anti-technology, because I'm not at all. Right. But like any of the great discoveries, any of the great progress that we have made historically, um, there's going to be a plus and a minus to it. Uh, what, we, what we get from technology, the very fact that the, the sum total of, of human knowledge can be at our fingertips, is incredible, but there is a price to pay. I think there's a very different relationship, for instance, uh, that we have when we sit face-to-face with another sentient being that is very different 
than a Facebook relationship or a Twitter relationship. And I say that even though I can say I have some wonderful uh, Twitter friends, people I've never met face-to-face, but um, we've come to know each other, we've come to be of value to each other, but it's not the same as human contact. Not long ago, there was a front-page article in, in the New York Times about how robots are now becoming very valuable in uh, helping patients who are hospitalized. Um, And the doctors are raving about this. The robot goes in, gathers information, provides information, and this is seen as something that's really valuable and extraordinary. I believe that it does have potential value, but... Nowhere in this article did it speak about the value of the human touch. Right. And that, that concerns me. Um, I did uh, just recently, I was on a panel um, at uh, Albert Einstein College of Medicine speaking with about 300 medical students from around New York City. And we spoke about things like this. Uh, you know, they, they use the term spirituality in the title of the program, and I, I had wished that they hadn't, because I think that that can be off-putting. What right. is mm-hmm. spirituality? You know, how does this fit into medical practice? Mm-hmm. So I tried to bring it to a different le- uh, level and say, look, if you just hold a patient's hand for a moment and be with that person, think of that as a spiritual act. Because I think it is enormously significant. What you said before, and actually I, I wish that we hadn't left it as quickly, you spoke about in your mediation practice how you encourage people to really listen to each other. Yes. But essentially, we don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. We are not skilled at listening. You know, I would invite people, even right now, as one is listening, and certainly if you're in a conversation, as we think we are listening, watch how much of the mind goes to preparing a response. Right. Watch how much of the judgmental mind kicks in as we think, I like this, I don't like this, I wish I had more of this, I wish I didn't have to go through this. Right now, right at this moment, an experience for your listeners may be they're, they're listening to your voice and to my voice, and the thoughts go through, oh, this is, this is wonderful, I like this. I don't, this isn't so great, why are they putting this on the air? <laughs> oh, this, I'm going to get a lot out of this, this is wonderful. Right. All of which may be, but that's the judgmental mind that's coming into play. It goes past what we call the bare experience. The bare experience is just the listening of what is being said without judging it, without evaluating it, without opinions taking over. But essentially, we don't really know how to do that. We were never taught how to do it. So, um, you know, it's one of the things when I was uh, working with the medical students, uh, we did some exercises to look at that sort of thing. And there are exercises that I try to bring up whenever I do workshops so that people can gain some experience in what I call deep listening or truly listening. It's a skill. 
it doesn't come easily. Right. And that's one of the tools that we teach in mediation in order to be an effective mediator, you have to hear what the disputant says, reflect it back so that they know that you understood it, and also you want to clarify for understanding for everybody there. Right. So that is, that's a tool that we teach in, in my class at UCI here, and it's a tool that mediators have to teach. And I, I think it is a shame that we're not teaching it in the schools. But believe it or not, we are out of time, Alan. That just went wow. so quick. I know. We're going to have to have you back again. It's just that would be my wonderful. Pleasure. Yes. And so I want to thank you for joining us. And I want people to take a look at this wonderful, mindful book called Patience, the Art of Peaceful Living. And why don't you just give your website and then it's time for us to go. Well, the website is CMC, as in Cat Mary Cat. New York, spelled out, dot org. Thank you, Ellen Locus. You are just wonderful, and we will have you back again. Have a great day. You too, Mari. Thank you so much. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Visit our website at conflicthealing.com and join us next week at 830 And by the way, just send us an email at conflicthealing.com and let us know what you would like to find out about getting more peaceful in, in this age of technology and age of rushing. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.